One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Ravens at Bengals. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 45. Game Overview by Pappy. Tyler Huntley is priced attractively for a running QB that has shown upside with his arm. The Bengals should pass more than usual. Burrow's price has fallen below 6000 on DK. Joe Mixon has played less than 70% of the snaps the past three weeks. How Baltimore will try to win. The 8-6 Ravens enter a pivotal division game on the back of a three-game losing streak. Jim Harbaugh's team is approaching total collapse territory as they are now tied with the Bengals atop their division and only hold a one-game lead over the Browns and Steelers. Three weeks ago, it looked like the Ravens would coast to an AFC North title. Now, the winner of this game will be in the driver's seat for the division, and the loser has a real chance to miss the postseason. This is as close to a playoff game for the Ravens as they've had all season, and they desperately need a victory to stop the bleeding. The upstart Bengals defense has been the reason they've outperformed expectations this season. The Bengals are tough to run on, 10th in DVOA, and middling against the pass, 17th in DVOA. There isn't a clear path of least resistance to take, and there isn't anything in the matchup that should tilt the Ravens away from their preferred style of play, which doesn't change much with Lamar Jackson clone Tyler Huntley under center. The Ravens play slow, 31st in situation neutral pace, and they stay slow in all situations. Expect more of the same with the Ravens using a creative running game that utilizes a hybrid running back QB approach for Huntley. How Cincinnati will try to win. The 8-6 Bengals must come into this game feeling blessed that their opponents have been collapsing the past month. A contest that three weeks ago looked like it could be meaningless is now close to a division championship game. The Bengals are at home, have momentum, and this game will be played in a playoff environment. The Bengals play slowly, 30th in situation neutral pace, and stay slow in all situations. There aren't going to be a ton of plays between two teams that will likely play slow. The Ravens have been stout against the run, 5th in DVOA, but blasted by the pass, 29th in DVOA, and are playing the rest of the year without their best secondary player, Marlon Humphreys. This is one of the clearest pass-funnel defenses in the league, and the Bengals coaching staff should be able to figure that out in a must-win game. The first time these two teams met, the Bengals threw 38 times, their second-highest pass attempt game of the season, and they should have a similar game plan. Expect the Bengals to stay slow but to pass more than usual to attack the relative weakness of the Ravens' defense. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a moderate total of 45.5 and is expected to be a competitive game between two teams trying to win the AFC North. The Ravens might be missing Lamar Jackson, but even if he sits, Tyler Huntley has shown enough that it's still reasonable to think this will be a close contest that is decided late in the game. Expect both teams to play at their usual slow pace, keeping things within one score before the winner is finally determined in the fourth quarter, possibly on the last drive or in OT. Giants at Eagles. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 40 and a half. Game Overview by Pappy. The Giants will be deciding their QB midweek. Saquon Barkley played 59% of the snaps last week. Jalen Hurts is unlikely to throw over 30 times. The Eagles' backfield was a timeshare last week. How New York will try to win. The 4-10 Giants come into this game at the tail end of a lost year. Things could not have gone much worse for the G-Men. They fired their inept offensive coordinator mid-season, lost Saquon Barkley for six weeks, he may never be the same, have a pack of glass figurines at wide receiver, and place Daniel Jones on the IR with a mysterious neck injury that wasn't severe enough to drive him from the game, 
in which he sustained it, but has been bad enough to end his season. Joe Judge's team is a mess, and they are going to struggle to win many games down the stretch. This week, the G-Men get an Eagles defense that has been below average against the pass, 24th in DVOA, and middling against the run, 15th in DVOA. Freddie Kitchens is doing his best to install a new offense on the fly with no consistency at QB and one of the worst O-lines in football. The Giants are still playing fast, 8th in situation neutral pace, which is a slight uptick since Freddie Kitchens took over, but they are running a lot of inefficient plays. The Giants are going to keep trying to figure out what works with the starting QB situation to be determined during practice this week, according to Joe Judge. How Philadelphia will try to win. The 7-7 Eagles come into Week 16 having gone 4-1 in their last five games, with their only loss coming in a poor letdown game against these Giants. The Eagles made a clear decision in Week 6 to change their play style and limit Jalen Hurts' pass attempts. Since then, Hertz has never been asked to throw over 35 times, and the Eagles have established a clear identity that is reminiscent of the Ravens during Lamar Jackson's early years. The Eagles play fast, fifth in situation neutral pace, but slow down if they're ahead, 21st in pace. The tendency to come out fast and slow down when leading makes the Eagles a team that can create shootouts when their opponent keeps up, but they are unlikely to reach a ceiling game in contests they easily control. The G-Men have a defense that is terrible on the ground, 28th in DVOA, middling against the pass, 13th in DVOA, which plays into the hands of how the Eagles want to attack. They are highly likely to play in their preferred method of using an up-tempo run game where their QB functions as a hybrid running back that can throw off play fakes. The Eagles' style is particularly effective against teams that struggle to stop the run, and they are set up well to have success in this matchup. Expect the Eagles to play their usual style before slowing way down in the second half with a multiple touchdown lead. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a low total of 40.5 because the G-Men are sporting an ugly 15.25 team total. That makes sense since they have scored a pathetic 10, 13, 9, 21, and 6 points in their last 5 games. The Giants are unlikely to keep up and that drags down the entire game environment. That most likely game flow is the Eagles come out running their up-tempo offense right down the Giants' throat before pumping the brakes and sucking the life out of the game in the second half. The Giants did manage to win last meeting, but that was at home with Daniel Jones still playing in a game where the Eagles were flat. Rams at Vikings. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 49. Game Overview by Hilo. The game of the week as far as potential game environment is concerned. Vikings see Dalvin Cook headed to the COVID list a day after activating Alexander Madison from the COVID list. Of note here, quarterback Kirk Cousins is also not vaccinated. The Rams are down to just six players on the COVID list. They were up to 29 last week, most notably tight end Tyler Higbee and safety Jordan Fuller. Cam Akers had his 21-day practice window surprisingly opened on Wednesday, but it is unlikely he immediately steps into a massive workload, even if fully activated. How Los Angeles will try to win. The Rams suddenly find themselves atop the NFC West, and just one game back from the Packers, lose tiebreaker, For the top overall spot in the NFC, which is quite impressive considering they've been chasing the Cardinals all season. The two biggest stories out of Los Angeles are Cam Akers' 21-day practice window being opened, Akers has missed the entire season after tearing his ACL before the season began, and Tyler Higby's inability to clear the league's COVID list as of Thursday. Keep an eye on the respective statuses of these two players as we inch closer to the weekend. The Rams run the league's fastest situation neutral offense and sixth fastest offense overall this season incorporating above-average pass rates, 11th overall and 6th with the score within 7 points, along the way. They check in with the most points per drive, 4th most yards per drive, and 5th ranked overall drive success rate this season. 
Minnesota ranks middle of the pack in most defensive drive metrics, but has seeded 24.4 points per game, 23rd, has allowed the third most total yards per game, and ranks poorly in both rush and pass defensive metrics. Sony Michelle continued to start last week with Daryl Henderson back in the fold, taking every running back opportunity over the first two drives before Henderson saw his first touch. Cam Akers could possibly return, but for what it's worth, I highly doubt he'll be active this week, with a much higher likelihood of the team holding him out until week 17 or 18 in an attempt to get him some live game reps before the playoffs. The bottom line is there is a wide range of outcomes to consider when picking through this backfield. The likeliest scenario yields Akers inactive, Henderson operating as the change of pace back, while Michelle draws another start. Even then, there is a legitimate path to Henderson being more involved in his second game back from injury. The matchup on the ground yields an absolutely elite 4.74 net adjusted line yards metric on the backs of a 26-spot delta in run game efficiency. Rams rank 6th on offense, while the Vikings rank 32nd on defense. The moneymakers of this offense come through the air. As Cooper Cup stands as far and away the top wide receiver on the season, Odell Beckham Jr. has taken over the downfield role in this offense, and Van Jefferson has assumed the intermediate ball-moving option. Here's a quick snapshot of what Cooper Cup has done this season. He currently leads the NFL in receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. He has seen double-digit targets in all but one game, where he saw only nine, and he has scored more than 20 fantasy points in all but three games. Hot damn, stud alert. What's more, Matthew Stafford has seemed to lock onto Cup even more down the stretch, as any pass catcher not named Cooper Cup has seen a high of only eight targets each of the last three games. The Vikings carry the honor of allowing the sixth deepest average depth of target and eighth most total yards after the catch in the league. This is a good matchup for this Rams passing attack. How Minnesota will try to win. As we've talked about all season, this Vikings team relies heavily on their opponent to dictate their pace of play, rush pass rates, and overall aggression. Minnesota ranks 9th in the league in pass rate with the game within 7 points at 59%, which falls to 51% with playing with a lead and jumps to 66% when playing from behind. The biggest indication of a change in philosophy is their situational pace of play, which stands at a 14th ranked situation neutral pace of play, 30.62 seconds per play, and jumps to a 3rd ranked 23.34 seconds per play when trailing by 7 or more points. Adam Thielen is tentatively expected to return from a one-game absence with a low-grade high ankle sprain, giving this offense one of its top playmakers back. They will, however, be missing starting running back Dalvin Cook, but backup Alexander Madison has proven highly capable of filling in when needed. The backfield will be easy to decipher this week with Dalvin Cook out and Alexander Madison back from the COVID list. Expect Madison to see an 80% plus snap rate, backed up by Kenny Nwangu. Fullback CJ Ham should see 35-40% to 40% of the offensive snaps of his own, but has exactly 7 rush attempts and 13 targets on the season. The matchup on the ground yields a paltry 4.035 net adjusted line yards metric against a Rams defense allowing just 23 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. Consider Madison a high floor, high theoretical ceiling play in a difficult matchup, primarily boosted by expected volume. The pass game is also expected to be highly concentrated, with only Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Alexander Madison expected to see heavy volume with K.J. Osborne and tight end Tyler Conklin rounding it out in low-volume roles. Should Thielen miss, expect the majority of his volume to flow through Jefferson and Madison, while the player whose role would grow the most would be Osborne. Ideally, what we see is Thielen active, not for what it does to the Vikings' offensive game plan, but for what it does to the potential defensive alignments. The Rams have forced a moderate 7.1 average depth of target, but have truly struggled with the yards allowed after the catch, seeding the sixth most in the league. That realm is Justin Jefferson's realm, who leads the Vikings pass catchers in yards after the catch per reception at 4.9. Should Thielen miss, look for Amir Smith-Marset to step into about half of the offensive snaps. Likeliest game flow. As is always the case this season, 
The game environment and pace are likely to be dictated by whomever the Vikings are playing. It just so happens that the team the Vikings are playing this week ranks fifth in the league in points scored per game and play at one of the league's fastest paces. As such, expect the Vikings to be forced to match the Rams here, leading to a likeliest game flow that involves pace and elevated pass rates from each side. Fantasy goodness abound. There's not much else that needs to be said here. This game is very clearly the top overall game environment on the slate. Picking through the players with a realistic chance at 40 plus fantasy points, two of them come from this game in Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Bucks at Panthers. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 43. Game overview by Hilo. Between COVID and injuries, the Bucks are going to be hit hard on the offensive side of the ball this week. All of Mike Evans, questionable, Chris Godwin, IR, Leonard Fournette, doubtful, Giovanni Bernard, IR, and Brashad Perryman, COVID, are either out or have yet to practice this week. DJ Moore has yet to practice this week with his hamstring injury, while CMC remains out and defensive tackle Derek Brown is on the COVID list. How Tampa Bay will try to win. While we can't say with any degree of confidence that we know how the Bucs will approach this game, we should be able to discern the fact that Bruce Arians is more likely than not to keep the game in Tom Brady's hands. The team is expecting Antonio Brown back from injury and suspension. Rob Gronkowski is one of the more trusted members of the passing corps. Rashad Perryman is tentatively expected to return from the COVID list this week. And the sole remaining healthy running backs are Ronald Jones. Last week was his first game since week two over a modest 19% snap rate. And Keyshawn Vaughn, a single touch in only three games this season. All of that doesn't even mention why Ronald Jones has fallen out of favor with Arians and Brady, which has primarily been due to incorrect routes, missed blocking assignments, and fumbles, mental errors. The no-nonsense ways of Arians and Brady don't take too kindly to mental lapses. I would almost throw matchup out the window here and instead look to available personnel in our quest to predict how the Bucks approach the game. As alluded to earlier, although Ronald Jones excelled without Leonard Fournette last season, there is quite a bit more uncertainty and risk now than there was last year. The matchup tilts to the ground, 24th in DVOA against the run, 8th against the pass, but you're truly playing with fire when it comes to mental lapses. See Nicole Hardman, pre-2021 MVS, etc. The spot is theoretically a good one against the run-funnel Panthers defense, so I'll try and keep the tone more neutral until we get to the end of this section, where I will cover the likelier outcome, in my mind anyway. Leonard Fournette had worked his way into a workhorse role over the previous three weeks, playing a minimum of 80% of the offensive snaps over that time frame, meaning his absence opens up a massive opportunity for the only remaining healthy backs on this roster, Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. The matchup yields a robust 4.35 net adjusted line yards metric behind the league's most efficient run-blocking offensive line against an opponent yielding just 20.2 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. Shifting gears again, that's about where the positives end for Rojo. The Bucks are currently tied with four teams at 10-4 and four in the NFC, all sitting one game back of the Packers for the lone playoff bye out of the conference. With a beat-up team, numerous players on one-year deals, and Tom Brady not getting any younger, man doesn't get any older, so maybe he just stays the same age? Expect this team to view every contest as a must-win affair down the stretch. As such, I expect Bruce Arians and Tom Brady to keep games in Brady's hands until each victory is assured. Dare I say, we might even see an increase to the 67% overall pass rate we've seen from this team this season, should this game play close throughout. The problem is, as we'll cover later, this game playing close throughout means one of two things. Either the Panthers are keeping pace in a tough spot, or the Bucks fail on offense. 
Expect Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski to act as the primary pass catchers, with Prashad Perryman likely thrust into a near-every-down role, assuming he makes it back from the COVID list, and assuming Mike Evans can't go. Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller splitting reps on the perimeter, and Cameron Brayton and O.J. Howard soaking up situational duties at tight end. The matchup is a difficult one on paper, as the Panthers rank 12th or better in fantasy points allowed to running back, 3rd, wide receiver, ninth, and tight end, 12th. How Carolina will try to win. Carolina would clearly prefer to maintain a run-balanced approach on offense, but they have largely been unable to do so over the previous month of play, with Cam Newton as the starting quarterback. That has led to the 8th highest overall pass rate during that time frame, 61%. Their pass rate with the score within 7 points over that same time frame, you ask? 42%, second lowest in the league. So yeah, the Panthers expect to begin the game attempting to run the football into a brick wall, and then adopting a more pass-heavy approach once they fall behind. What could be a saving grace in this spot is the propensity of the Bucks' defense to give up rushing production to opposing quarterbacks. Third most rush attempts faced and fifth most yards allowed. Finally, keep an eye on the status of DJ Moore, who has yet to practice this week as of Thursday afternoon. The running back situation on the Panthers is a veritable mess. Amir Abdullah has outsnapped rookie Chuba Hubbard each of the past three games played, but has failed to crack a modest eight running back opportunities in any game over the span. Hubbard's high in running back opportunities over that same time frame is 10. Against the pass funnel Bucks defense, don't expect a heavy workload for either back here. Speaking of the matchup, the Panthers are left with a deplorable 3.95 net adjusted line yards metric against the defense facing the fewest rush attempts per game in the league. Cam Newton has looked downright atrocious passing the football this season, leading to a paltry 54.9% completion rate, low 6.8 intended air yards per pass attempt, and silly low 5.5 completed air yards per completion. Add in DJ Moore's hamstring injury and the fact that he has yet to practice this week. Of note, we don't know if he aggravated the injury last week or if he is being held out of practice as a precaution, and we're not left with a ton to love from his pass offense outside of the potential for a concentrated offense should Moore miss. Moore's skill set and route tree mesh better with Cam's late career skill set. Should Moore miss, we're likely to see Brandon Zilstra step into a near every down role alongside Robbie Anderson with rookie Terrence Marshall Jr. regaining his standard slot role. Zilstra has been primarily filling this role of late. Should Moore play, expect Marshall to be the odd man out. Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble have been splitting snaps almost down the middle since the team's week 13 bye. Either way, things do not set up well for this pass offense this week outside of concentration. Likeliest game flow. This one likely comes down to Carolina's ability to put points on the board, which has been no small task with Cam Newton at quarterback and without Christian McCaffrey, 16.5 points per game over Cam's four starts. This is of particular concern when we consider the fact that Carolina would prefer to run the football until otherwise forced, and the matchup against an extreme pass filter defense does not bode well for that game plan. That leaves us with three potential likeliest outcomes as far as game flow goes. Tampa Bay shuts down the Panthers, muting the upside of their own offense along the way, slight boost to Ronald Jones. The Panthers are able to keep pace, in which case the Bucks' passing game gets a significant boost for heavy expected volume. Both the Bucks and Panthers' offenses fail, in which case volume is the only thing that matters to us. This is important to understand because we have such concentrated offenses on each side of this game. We'll go over some of the plays that matter to each individual scenario in the DFS interpretation section. Bills at Patriots. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern. Over under 43 and a half. Game overview by Hilo. First off, this game will not be played in 40 mile an hour winds with gusts over 60 miles an hour. But that's also kind of a salient point as this game is not likely to look the same as the last time these two teams played. 
Wide receiver Cole Beasley will miss this contest on the COVID list, while starting left tackle Deion Dawkins and backup left guard John Feliciano are also on the league's COVID list. Star Lotulele has yet to practice this week while attending to a personal matter. Kendrick Bourne remains on the league's COVID list, but is reportedly asymptomatic, giving him a chance to return in time for Sunday. Ramondre Stevenson, illness, and Nelson Aguilar, concussion, have yet to practice this week. How Buffalo will try to win. The Bills lead the league in pass rate with a score within 7 points at 68%, a rate that drops to 56% when playing with a lead. The Patriots have forced the 7th deepest average depth of target while forcing the 2nd lowest completion rate and 13th ranked yards allowed per completion. They have also allowed only 1.1 passing touchdowns per game and have generated the 2nd most interceptions per game, 1.4. That's pretty incredible to have generated more interceptions than they have allowed passing scores. That said, it is highly probable we see the Bills attempt to win this game through the air. The backfield has transitioned into a workhorse situation over the previous two weeks, with Devin Singletary handling 82 and 93% snap rates, with Zach Moss held as a healthy and active. That said, the last time Moss was active was against these same Patriots, so keep an eye on the inactive list leading up to the first kick. Should Moss once again be held out, Singletary would likely have this backfield largely to himself. That also said, this does not set up the same way it did last week when Singletary saw a robust 23 running back opportunities. Expect the Bills to attempt less than 20 running back rush attempts. The matchup on the ground yields a slightly above average 4.38 net adjusted line yards metric against a Patriots defense allowing 24.2 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. Quite the strength-on-strength matchup we have here, with the 11th-ranked pass offense in DVOA against the 3rd-ranked pass defense in DVOA. With Cole Beasley out and Emmanuel Sanders returning to practice, expect Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis to man the perimeter out of 11 personnel formations. With Sanders likely shifting to the perimeter in heavy formations, a slight dent to the expected snap rate of Davis, that is assuming Sanders is back to full health. Tight end Dawson Knox has worked his way into a near every down roll over the second half of the season. The matchup tilts expected production to the deeper areas of the field, but also induces a good deal of uncertainty, making any of these pass catchers best played at low ownership. How New England will try to win. Although we can't expect the Patriots to approach game planning in the same way they did last time these two teams met, we should expect something along the same lines. High rush rates and dynamic run blocking designed to rush off the edge and off tackle, away from star Lotulele, who is currently not practicing, and inside linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. When forced to throw, Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry set up best to take advantage of the high man rate shown by the Bills. Either way, we know the Patriots would like to shorten the field on both sides of the ball while cracking down in the red zone on defense. Expect a slow pace of play and elevated rush rates. There are some significant question marks surrounding this Patriots backfield, as Ramondre Stevenson has yet to practice this week, as of Thursday, and Damian Harris is coming off a missed contest. We should expect the Patriots to once again lean into the run game here, but we're highly unlikely to see the same level of output as the last time these two teams played. Said another way, look for the Patriots to build their offensive game plan around the run, but in different ways than in Week 13. The expected snap rates depend largely on health, and it's too early to speculate on who would be of the most utility here. Assuming all backs play, we're likely to see a three-way timeshare amongst Harris, Stevenson, and Brandon Bolden, with Bolden primarily being used on obvious passing downs. The matchup on the ground yields a putrid 3.905 net adjusted line yards metric, but the primary strength of this Bills defense is up the middle, and nose tackle star Lotulele has yet to practice this week. The pass game also has a good deal of unknowns surrounding it with both Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne yet to practice this week. Both are primarily utilized as package-wide receivers, as the only pass catchers to play near every down rolls are Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry. That said, should either miss, it would open up additional playing time for punt returner Gunnar Ozluski, who could become an interesting piece at min-price. 
It would also likely open up additional perimeter snaps for Nikhil Harry, who has largely underwhelmed throughout his career and should be thought of primarily as a run blocker at this point. With all pass catchers healthy, expect a rather wide timeshare outside of Myers and Henry. The matchup through the air could not be more difficult against a Bills defense that has allowed the fewest fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers and the fourth fewest fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends. Likeliest game flow. Expect another field position battle from these two divisional rivals in their respective quests for playoff seeding. The Patriots currently sit in the second spot in the AFC, one game behind the Chiefs, while the Bills are only one game back from the Patriots and currently in the seventh and final playoff spot. Both teams rank in the top half of the league in average time of possession, meaning we shouldn't expect more than the 126 total plays these two combined for this year. Overall, this game shouldn't be one to go out of our way to attack, with the most interest from me coming from the Bills' pass catchers, which depends highly on expected ownership, or the Patriots' backfield, which depends highly on the game-day statuses of Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. Jaguars at Jets. Kickoff Sunday, December 26th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over-under, 41. Game Overview by Hilo. The Jaguars have somehow avoided COVID altogether this week, with zero players currently on the league's COVID list. Six players did not practice on Wednesday, most notably wide receiver LaVisca Chenault Jr. and Carlos Hyde, who is done for the season. The Jets list nine players on the league's COVID list, including wide receivers Elijah Moore, transferred from IR, and Jeff Smith, guard Elijah Vera Tucker, six defensive starters, and head coach Robert Sala, wide receiver Jamison Crowder, linebacker CJ Mosley, safety Elijah Riley, and defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins did not practice on Wednesday. Two teams with moderate situation-neutral paces of play and rush pass rates that both increase pace of play and pass rates in negative game scripts. This is important to us in our quest for hidden upside. 25th and 31st ranked offenses and drive success rate against, 25th and 31st ranked defenses and drive success rate allowed. How Jacksonville will try to win. It's almost impossible to tell the exact way the Jaguars will try to win here, with so many moving pieces surrounding their team. Here's what we do know. The Jaguars hold a low 55% pass rate with the score within seven points this season, 12th lowest in the league. James Robinson is back to being the bell cow of this backfield, 84% snap rate last week without Carlos Hyde, in the first game without former head coach Urban Meyer. Marvin Jones Jr. and Laquan Treadwell play almost every snap on the perimeter, while LaVisca Chanel Jr. typically sees about two-thirds of the offensive snaps in a short area gadget-style role. This team is more than willing to almost abandon the run and turn to the air in negative game scripts. Interim head coach Daryl Bevel has handed over offensive play calling duties to Brian Schottenheimer. Bevel and Schottenheimer's offenses were built around dynamic run blocking in the run game and deep passing through the air. Since we know the Jaguars have been far more likely to lean on the run in competitive games, we have to approach the rest of this write-up through the lens of individual game flows. Should they stay competitive or even play with a lead, we have to assume an increased rush rate primarily through James Robinson. The matchup on the ground yields a well above average and borderline elite 4.47 net adjusted line yards metric against the Jets defense seeding 36.3 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, the most in the league by a wide margin, like six full points per game more than the second worst team. Along the same lines of thinking, we should expect 40 plus pass attempts from Trevor Lawrence should the Jags play from behind. I would also expect a heavier emphasis on the deep passing game than what we saw under Urban Meyer which would primarily flow through perimeter threats Marvin Jones Jr. and Laquan Treadwell. James O'Shaughnessy leads the tight end stable in snap rate and is the most well-rounded of the bunch, while Chris Manhurts is primarily a blocking tight end and Jacob Hollister is primarily used in heavy formations. Finally, the six total defensive starters for the Jets is a slight boost to both the run game and the pass game of the Jaguars, in addition to being a slight boost to expected offensive efficiency.
how New York will try to win. The Jets are really trying to figure out their future as opposed to playing for anything this season, splitting the work across all three major skill positions. Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman have been splitting the backfield work. Jamison Crowder, Keelan Cole, Braxton Berrios, and Denzel Mims have been splitting the work between the three wide receiver positions. And Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, and Trevin Wesco have been splitting the work at tight end. Woof. The Jets rank toward the middle of the pack in rush pass rates with the score within seven points, but have been forced into increased aerial aggression quite often this season. They also rank towards the middle of the pack in situation neutral pace of play, but rank first in the league in pace of play in the second half indicating a team that is fighting through the end of the game, even if the score is out of reach. The backfield is somewhat predictable, with Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman both healthy. Expect a near-even backfield split between the two, with Carter carrying additional pass game upside. The matchup on the ground yields a below-average 4.205 net-adjusted line yards metric against the Jacksonville defense allowing 23.5 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields. Not a ton to love here. The pass game is also fairly straightforward, with four wide receivers splitting time amongst three spots and three tight ends rotating through depending on the package. Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole play the most snaps on offense, but neither approach is near every down utilization, typically playing sub-80% of the offensive snaps in a given week. Braxton Berrios and Denzel Mims rotate through in modest roles and would require outlier efficiency to matter. Again, not an overwhelming spot. Likeliest Game Flow Another game with extremely wide ranges of potential outcomes as far as game flow and game environment go. With the big picture in mind, we know that both of these teams land near the middle of the league in situation neutral pace of play and pass rates with the score within seven points, but both teams also up those values when trailing. This provides us with a solid game environment for some hidden upside, particularly considering the heavy injuries and COVID issues throughout New York's roster. Although not necessarily the likeliest outcome from a real-world football perspective, The likeliest path to fantasy goodness for DFS comes via a game environment that the Jaguars can control. In this scenario, expect James Robinson to be utilized heavily in the best matchup he'll have seen all season, while Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole have a viable path to increased volume and expected production. I would likely leave this game alone altogether for all other potential game environments. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Lions at the Falcons kick off Sunday, December 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 43.0. Updates regarding COVID can be found throughout the weekend on OneWeekSeason.com. Game Overview by Hilo. I'm starting the week with this game. As such, I feel it necessary to once again stress the fact that COVID is throwing a massive wrench in everybody's plans. Take the major points from each of these write-ups, keep on top of late-week news, and stay flexible. The Lions currently have 11 players on the COVID list, most notably quarterback Jared Goff and six defensive backs. The Falcons don't currently have any major COVID news as of Wednesday. DeAndre Swift returned to a limited practice on Wednesday, his first practice since injuring his shoulder in Week 12. Falcons wide receiver 3 Tajay Sharp missed practice Wednesday with a foot injury sustained last week. Atlanta ranks 26th in points per game, 18.4, while allowing the second most points per game, 27.4 while Detroit ranks 28th in points per game, 17.4, while allowing the 7th most points per game, 26.1. Something has got to give here. 
How Detroit Will Try to Win Lions quarterback Jared Goff was placed on the league's COVID list on Monday following mild symptoms late Sunday evening. Dan Campbell, the mastermind joker himself, refused to disclose whether to expect Tim Boyle or David Blau should Goff miss, leaving us playing the guessing game with respect to how this offense will look this weekend. Let's start with what we know. We know the Lions would prefer to play at a slow to moderate pace, 27th-ranked situation neutral pace of play, with elevated rush rates, 7th highest rush rate on first and second down with the score within 7 points, for as long as they are allowed to do so, but that they are one of the handful of teams that are more than willing to increase both their pace of play and pass rate should they be forced to, 4th highest overall second half pass rate and 7th fastest second half pace of play. Tim Boyle has one career start under his belt, and David Blau has a total of four pass touchdowns to seven interceptions over his short career. Not great, Bob. The team did, however, recently activate Jamal Williams off the COVID list and is tentatively expecting DeAndre Swift to return from a three-game absence, assuming his shoulder tests out okay during limited practices this week. Finally, six total defensive backs are currently on the COVID list for a defense already allowing the second most yards per completion this year, 11.7. The team's backfield situation depends heavily on DeAndre Swift and his ability to grit through a shoulder injury. Jamal Williams has already been reinstated from the league's COVID list and would be the player likeliest to lead the backfield should Swift miss. Should Swift return, there's a wide range of potential outcomes when it comes to his expected snap rate and workload, likely depending on both game flow and pain management. It is clear this team views Swift as the lead back, by a wide margin, as Williams handled a modest 47% snap rate in his lone start without Swift, indicating a likely timeshare should Swift miss. Should Swift return, as previously mentioned, his involvement likely depends on some combination of game flow and pain management. I find it hard to believe that Detroit would feed increased run to Swift if the game gets out of hand in the first game back from injury. Keep an eye on the injury report out of Detroit and any anecdotes from Dan Campbell this week to gauge Swift's expected level of involvement. The matchup on the ground yields an average 4.34 net adjusted line yards metric against a Falcons defense allowing 26.4 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, including 15 total touchdowns and the 8th most receiving yards. We've seen Jared Goff absolutely lock on to rookie wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown over the previous three weeks of play, feeding him 35 total targets over that time, 11 or more targets in each of those three games. The problem for us is that Swift missed all three of those games, TJ Hawkinson missed two of those games, and each of those outputs came with Jared Goff at quarterback, who is in danger of missing this week on the COVID list. While we can expect St. Brown to continue to lead the team in looks, we have to question a couple of things here. Firstly, will a backup quarterback lock onto him the same way that Jared Goff did? Secondly, will Swift command more of a share of the targets once he returns? And thirdly, will the game environment require the Lions to up their pass rates and pace of play in the second half in a game against the Falcons? Expect Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds to operate as the primary perimeter wide receivers, with Brock Wright and Shane Zalestra splitting work at the tight end position. Atlanta is actually league average in yards allowed per completion at 10.2, but struggles in opponent completion rate allowed. Fourth worst, 68.9%. How Atlanta Will Try to Win
After starting the season with the league's ninth highest overall pass rate over the first eight weeks, the Falcons have dropped all the way down to the 12th lowest pass rate over the previous month of play. While the immediate reaction would be to check their opponents over that time frame as a means of explaining it away, that simply isn't the case here. 31-13 loss to the Niners, 29-21 victory over the Panthers, 30-17 loss to the Bucks, and a 21-14 win over the Jaguars indicating more of a shift by design. On the season, the Falcons have scored only 18.4 points per game, 26th in the league, rank well below average in drive success rate, 22nd, yards per drive, 22nd, and points per drive, 25th, and have allowed their opponents to score the second most points per game, 27.4. Atlanta hasn't been very dynamic with respect to situational play calling and pace of play metrics, checking in with a 64% pass rate when trailing, below average, and 58% pass rate when ahead, above average, while landing within a three-second disparity in pace of play when leading or trailing, lowest delta in the league. What that means is that the Falcons are largely incapable of altering their offensive game plan based on both opponent and game flow, or are simply unwilling to do so. Corderell Patterson outsnapped backfield mate Mike Davis in Week 15 for only the second time all season. But the overarching theme of this backfield remains the same. Expect anything from a 1A, 1B split to a direct timeshare out of the backfield, split in some capacity between Patterson and Davis. Although the snap rates have largely been split down the middle over the previous month of play between these two, Patterson has seen 17.75 running back opportunities per game over the previous month, while Davis has been held to only 10.25. With Patterson transitioning to more of a prototypical running back role, he'll likely require a positive game script, extreme efficiency, and multiple trips to the end zone in order to return a GPP-worthy score at an inflated price tag. The matchup on the ground is a good one, yielding an average 4.315 net adjusted line yards against a defense allowing 28.7 fantasy points per game to the position. Since the Falcons have become much more balanced later in the season, and since we know they don't alter their offensive game plan heavily this year, quarterback Matt Ryan has averaged only 32.5 pass attempts per game over the previous month of play. Along with the modest pass attempts total comes a 30th ranked intended air yards per pass attempt value of just 6.7, lower than Davis Mills and Ben Roethlisberger. Ballooning his overall numbers is a solid 68.08 completion rate, leading to a 19th ranked completed air yards per pass attempt value of 5.6. Basically, Ryan is still capable of reading progression and finding the open man, but the offense is constrained to short to intermediate work due to available offensive personnel and Ryan's declining arm strength. Russell Gage and Kyle Pitts operate in the only near-every-down role amongst pass catchers, each typically playing between 75-85% to 85 of the offensive snaps on a weekly basis. Olamide Zacchaeus have been relegated to 50-65% to 65 weekly snap rates. One positive coming from the Falcons is their ability and propensity to mix and match offensive personnel through everything they've gone through, playing numerous snaps from 21, 12, 22, and even 13 personnel over the previous month. That means to expect snaps with both Patterson and Davis on the field, both Pitts and Hayden Hurst on the field, and snaps with all four on the field. Likeliest Game Flow I would contend that there simply isn't a likeliest game flow here. 
Instead, we have a wide range of outcomes, each with about as likely a chance of playing out as the rest. This is oftentimes the case when you pit two poor offenses against two poor defenses, but it is amplified in this instance based on the offensive tendencies of each team. Explained in a more simple way, the Falcons have shown to be incapable or unwilling to alter their offensive game plan regardless of the situation they find themselves in, while the Lions have been one of the more willing offenses to throw their pregame plan out of the window should they be forced to do so. Because of this, the first two quarters are likely to decide the direction of this game, leaving it with one of the widest range of outcomes on this slate, and possibly this year. As in, we wouldn't be surprised if this game ended 9-6, and we wouldn't be surprised if this game ended 31-24. That said, this game is highly unlikely to completely blow all the others on this slate out of the water, meaning we would require concentrated offenses in order to provide stackability. It just so happens that's exactly what we've seen out of these two offenses over the previous month of play. But because these offenses have struggled so much all season, and because the Lions would likely require the Falcons leading the charge towards increased aggression, the most optimal way of attacking this one, if going here, is through the game flow lens of the Falcons jumping out to a lead and the Lions forced to catch up. The Chargers at the Texans kick off Sunday, December 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 46.0. Updates regarding COVID coming throughout the weekend on OneWeekSeason.com. Game Overview by Pappy. Brandon Cooks and Austin Eckler are the two big COVID questions to watch. If Cooks sits, Nico Collins is a possible wide receiver one priced like a punt play. If Eckler sits, Justin Jackson becomes an obvious play. The main thing holding the Chargers' offense back is the Texans' ability to keep up. How Los Angeles will try to win The 8-6 Chargers came into Week 16 off a heartbreaking overtime division loss against the Chiefs that all but assures Kansas City will win the AFC West. The Chargers are left battling among four 8-6 teams, all vying for three wildcard spots. This is a must-win game. Coming off the mini-buy, the Chargers should have most of their starters back from the COVID list, with the most notable exception being Austin Eckler. The Chargers play fast in all situations, and Eckler's status shouldn't change much about the way they attack the Texas defense. The Texans' defense has been poor against the run, 27th in DVOA, but better against the pass, 10th in DVOA which is a setup that should tilt the Chargers coaching staff towards the ground. Eckler's availability should not significantly change the game plan, as the Chargers were already looking more comfortable giving Justin Jackson the between-the-tackle carries the past two weeks. Expect the Chargers to come out with their usual fast-paced, aggressive approach while leaning on the running game more than usual to exploit the Texans' sorry run defense. How Houston Will Try to Win the 3-11 Texans have entered evaluation mode and are trying to figure out what they can work with next year. They may have found something in Davis Mills, who has looked much better than rookie QBs drafted well before him. The Texans play slow, 21st in situation neutral pace, but are willing to speed up when chasing points, 4th in pace during the second half, and are likely to be down on the scoreboard in this game. The Texans care more about finding out what they have for next year than they do about the results of the games, and they have every incentive to let David Mills be aggressive. 
The Chargers' defense has been decent against the pass, 12th in DVOA, but hasn't been able to stop anyone on the ground, 31st in DVOA, presenting as one of the clearest run-funnel units in the league. The Texans set up exceptionally poor to take advantage of their opponents' weaknesses, as they lack anything resembling a power run game. The Texans care more about getting an extended look at Mills than they do about winning, and they should continue to utilize a balanced offense rather than trying to relentlessly run against the relative weakness of the Chargers' defense. They are also likely to be chasing points, which means passing from the Texans is coming one way or another. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a moderate total of 46 because the Chargers' offense is likely to score against the talent-deficient Texans' defense, and the Texans' offense has shown signs of life recently with Davis Mills under center. Even with Mills looking better than expected, the Texans' offense is still a talent-deficient group that is projected to score under 20 points. The Chargers are one of the few teams that play fast in all situations, never dropping out of the top 10 in pace regardless of point differential or half. The Bolts are likely to stay aggressive late into this game, winning confidently by multiple scores. The Bears at the Seahawks kick off Sunday, December 26th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 42.5. Updates regarding COVID coming throughout the weekend at OneWeekSeason.com. Game Overview by MJohnson86 This game features two teams on a short week who are out of the playoff hunt. The forecast calls for a cold, damp game with temperatures in the 20s and precipitation earlier in the day, likely clearing by game time. Both offenses are bottom 10 in the league in scoring and play at a middling to below average pace. Surprisingly, both of these teams are top 10 in the league in pass rate since week 11, after both teams had their buys. How Chicago will try to win The Bears have three games in the last five weeks against similar opponents to what they will see this week from the Seahawks. Those games were against the Vikings, Lions, and Ravens. From my perspective, those similarities are in the approaches of the respective teams as they all have defensive-minded head coaches who prefer to play old-school football when they can, trying to win by controlling the ball and avoiding mistakes. Pete Carroll seems like he would certainly fit that mold as well, which is why I am making that comparison. In those three games, the final scores have been 16 to 13, 16 to 14, and 17 to 9, an average of 28.3 total points per game. The Bears are a team that operates at a slow pace, 23rd in the league in situation neutral pace of play, and also does not force the issue on its opponents with its play calling or aggressiveness. Their lack of offensive explosiveness and conservative approach allows opponents to decide if they want to reciprocate with a similar approach or become aggressive on their own. As alluded to earlier, this has played out on the field over the past several weeks with opponents who have weaker offenses and or strong defenses electing to keep things close to the vest and to grind out wins against the Bears. Matt Nagy is in survival mode and doing anything he can to try to save face and hold on to his job as the season comes to a close. In reality, he would be wise to open things up and try to inject some excitement into the team-slash-franchise by using Justin Fields in creative ways and becoming more aggressive. Nagy's best chance to save his job isn't going to be with a couple of meaningless, boring 17-13 wins to end the year. He would have a much better chance to be kept around if they lose a couple of 34-28 games where Fields flashes his potential. 
This is Matt Nagy we are talking about, however, and I don't expect him to have that much foresight. Instead, we should expect to see much of the same Bears team that we've seen throughout the year with a conservative approach, and Nagy just hoping things stay close late in the game and variance bounces their way. How Seattle Will Try to Win Pete Carroll loves old school football. Rashad Penny against the Texans and then DJ Dallas against the Rams. Seattle now has two backs who have shown the ability to be efficient and productive in recent weeks and a home game in cold weather against a bottom-tier defense. Seattle operates at a league-average pace of play, but that number is slightly misleading as they tend to operate with more tempo against better defenses and opponents as a means of slowing down pass rushes and keeping them from subbing in fresh players. They employed this tactic on a few occasions on Tuesday night against the Rams. However, in games against weaker competition, they tend to revert to their old habits of playing slow, methodical football. Seattle's passing game, although throwing at a higher rate of late, has been wildly inefficient since Russell Wilson's return from a finger injury. Wilson has averaged over 8 yards per attempt only once in the six games since his return, and that game was two weeks ago against the Texans and their very poor defense. Now they play a Chicago team that gives up the fourth lowest yards per attempt to opposing offenses. Another huge issue for Seattle continues to be their inability to rack up play volume, ranking dead last in the league at 55.2 plays per game. Seattle's predictable tendencies of running in obvious situations and taking downfield shots make it likely that they continue their trend of low play volume as they are likely to put themselves in long down and distance situations and route concepts, and their route concepts and personnel are not diverse enough to overcome defenses that drop into coverage and keep things in front of them. Seattle will try to win by playing Pete Carroll's old-fashioned predictable style and counting on the Bears to be just worse than them rather than actually trying to optimize their own performance. Likeliest Game Flow As discussed in the Seattle portion of this breakdown, the Seahawks have been unable to sustain play volume throughout the entire season. While the Seahawks' play volume has been pretty steady, the play volume of their opponents has depended on game flow. When the Seahawks have controlled games this year or played against efficient offenses that were able to have success against their defense, those games resulted in heightened play volume for the opponent. In close games, the result has been painfully slow games with low play volume for both sides. Unfortunately in this spot, the likeliest scenario is a low-scoring game with very modest play volume. The reality is that while Seattle has passed at a high rate, they have been very inefficient and are facing a defense that forces things underneath and takes away big plays. On the other side, Chicago has struggled to consistently move the ball, and Matt Nagy just can't get out of his own way. One of Pete Carroll or Matt Nagy will get a win on Sunday, but that doesn't mean either of them will deserve it. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Steelers at the Chiefs kick off Sunday, December 26th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 45.0. Updates regarding COVID coming throughout the weekend on OneWeekSeason.com. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. The Chiefs have had some weeks recently where they looked like the Chiefs of old, but there are some major questions here about whether they will have the personnel or need to do that against the Steelers. Pittsburgh's run defense has been one of the worst in the league for the last few weeks, getting gashed on a weekly basis. 
The pace for this game projects to be very fast, with both teams ranking top 10 in pace and throwing at a top 5 rate. The status of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey will have a huge impact on the outlook and projection for this game. How Pittsburgh will try to win Over their last three road games, the Steelers have given up 118 points, an average of 39.3 points per game. Those games were against three talented, explosive offenses in the Chargers, Bengals, and Vikings. A road trip to Kansas City and the high-powered Chiefs offense certainly sets up as a similar spot that we would expect a similar game script to play out. While they have been pass-heavy all season, Pittsburgh has actually thrown at the highest situation-neutral rate in the league since Week 11. Last week against the Titans was a weird game environment as both teams were content to play boring, inefficient football with their mediocre offenses. That game had very few total plays, and Ben Roethlisberger only threw the ball 25 times. Prior to that, Ben had averaged 39 pass attempts per game over the four previous weeks. The Kansas City defense works to limit wide receiver production and big plays in the passing game while trying to funnel things toward the running game and short middle of the field. This actually fits fairly well with the Steelers' method of attack as they attempt to hide Ben Roethlisberger and his inability to push the ball down the field. The Chiefs' defense has been very good recently, as they had held six straight opponents under 20 points, four of which were held under 10 points, prior to last week's shootout with the Chargers. In theory, this matchup sets up well for how the Steelers try to attack, voluminous, short area passing. But in reality, this is a very dangerous matchup where if Ben is throwing 40-plus times, the Chiefs' defense could tee off on it. The Chiefs are by far the most susceptible on the ground, but the Steelers have the 27th graded run blocking by PFF, and Najee Harris hasn't been able to consistently produce on the ground this season due primarily to the environment and blocking around him. The Steelers should start this game trying to run the ball and pepper Deontay Johnson with short area targets, but without the threat of Ben challenging them down the field, the Chiefs will likely be prepared for this and give them fits early. How Kansas City Will Try to Win the Steelers' run defense was a feared unit for many years. How the mighty have fallen. Currently ranked 30th in DVOA and 31st in yards allowed per carry, the Steelers are a team that opponents are actively attacking on the ground. The Chiefs have PFF's number 3 graded run-blocking offensive line and have shown significant improvement running the ball since last season and the start of this season. This is bad news for the Steelers as they head on the road to face a Patrick Mahomes-led offense. While the Chiefs still pass at a top 5 rate in the league, it is worth noting that they are only throwing at a 59% situation neutral rate over their last 4 games, which is about the league average. As their defense has improved and opposing defenses have sold out to slow down the explosive Chiefs passing game, they have evolved their approach to make their opponents pay for playing so far off the line and using so many defensive backs. The Chiefs are likely to be able to move the ball in whatever manner they choose, and the Steelers will dictate to them what that will be. If the Steelers do not dictate resources to help their poor run defense, they will likely be gashed repeatedly on the ground. If the Steelers do bring their offense closer to the line, Mahomes and company will be able to take shots down the field and use their elite talent for chunk plays and explosive scoring. The status of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who are both on the COVID list with uncertain statuses for Sunday, will likely have a significant impact on how the Steelers elect to defend the Chiefs. 
as without both of these players, they would be able to focus on reinforcing their run defense with less worry of being exposed on the back end. Likeliest Game Flow Although they are a pass-heavy team, the Steelers are not going to voluntarily get into a shootout with Patrick Mahomes on the road. The Steelers will run the ball and use their short-area passing game against the Chiefs, trying to sustain drives and score points to protect both Ben Roethlisberger and their highly susceptible defense. So much of the projection for this game relies on the health status of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, both of whom we will likely not have the final word on until Sunday morning, but who still have a chance to be cleared thanks to the league's new COVID protocols allowing a shorter return to play. Ironically, I think the Chiefs are more likely to control this game with their running game if they have Tyreek and or Kelsey active, as that will keep the Steelers from allocating more resources to help their struggling run defense. On the flip side, if the Chiefs are forced to play without both of their top receiving options, that would likely lead to the Steelers stacking the box and taking their chances against the replacement-level receivers the Chiefs would be left with. The Chiefs still have Patrick Mahomes, however, and that could end up a recipe for disaster if the Chiefs can give him time to take those shots down the field, regardless of who is on the receiving end. The Broncos at the Raiders kick off Sunday, December 26th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41.0. Updates regarding COVID will be coming throughout the weekend on OneWeekSeason.com. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Both teams enter this game at 7 and 7 and are very much alive for a playoff spot, but the loser of this game will likely not be able to dig out of the hole. Drew Locke starting at quarterback for Denver adds some intrigue and volatility to this game. Las Vegas has scored under 20 points in six of their last seven games and is playing on an unexpected short week. The Raiders' strength on offense matches up poorly with the Denver defense. The Raiders' defense has given up 30-plus points in four of their last six games. These teams combined for 58 points in Week 6. However, players who played key roles in that game who will not play this week include Henry Ruggs, Darren Waller, Kenyon Drake, and Teddy Bridgewater. How Denver Will Try to Win This season has seen Denver use a very conservative approach with Teddy Bridgewater managing games and the Broncos focusing on the one-two punch of their running game behind Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Since their Week 11 bye, the Broncos are running the ball at the fifth highest situation neutral rate in the league. After a scary situation in Week 15, Teddy Bridgewater is out and Drew Locke is in for the Broncos. This change adds more dynamics and uncertainties to this game than we would usually see in a Week 16 divisional matchup. Locke has always been a YOLO quarterback who throws aggressively downfield and takes chances. This is primarily what cost him his job, however, and he claims to have grown as a quarterback, which I would assume to mean he has realized he can't throw the ball to the other team so often. The strategy from the Broncos will likely center around hiding Locke and not putting him in a position to make many of the same mistakes that have haunted him in the past. The Broncos have a much stronger running game now than they did the last time Locke started, and will try to use their elite running back tandem to take the load off his plate. I would expect Denver to leverage Locke's arm strength by using play action to take calculated shots down the field, but not to put him in a lot of situations where he is making reads and going through progressions unless they are forced to. 
This is a great audition opportunity for Locke to prove to other teams he deserves a second chance, and he couldn't ask for a much better opportunity than in a dome against a struggling defense with a strong supporting cast and running game. Full disclosure, I am biased and want Locke to smash in this spot because the last time we saw him start a game, it was also against the Raiders in Week 17 of the 2020 season when he threw to Jerry Judy on a 92-yard touchdown, which led me to the biggest win of my DFS career. How Las Vegas Will Try to Win The Raiders got a pretty raw deal having their game moved from Saturday to Monday last week and losing two days of rest while also having to travel. This is a huge game if they want any chance of making the playoffs and is, quite frankly, the best chance they have left on the schedule for a win. The Raiders have had some absolute duds in the last few weeks, but it should be noted that at least two of those were against a Chiefs team that they just could not match up with any worse from a personnel and philosophy standpoint. The Raiders continued to pass at a high rate in a Week 15 win over the Browns, and now face a tough Denver pass defense on a short week of rest. Las Vegas has had a top three situation neutral pass rate over the course of the season and over the last four weeks. At this point in the season, the Raiders have shown their preferred method of attack is throwing at a nearly 2 to 1 ratio regardless of opponent or personnel available as they have not changed their approach despite significant losses. While their pass rate has not changed, the way in which they attack through the air has changed significantly. Through six weeks, Derek Carr was sixth in the league with an average depth of target of 9.8. Since then, Carr's average throw has been only 7.6 yards downfield as the team has adjusted to the loss of Henry Ruggs and, subsequently, Darren Waller. This quick-hitting, short-area passing game will be the clear focus for the Raiders again this week as the Denver secondary makes it difficult to throw the ball to the outside and down the field and their run defense is strong enough to make the underwhelming Raiders' run game unlikely to be consistently successful. Likeliest Game Flow The Raiders play at a slightly above-average pace, while the Broncos are one of the slower-paced teams in the league. Vegas has this game as a pick'em, meaning it's likely that neither team takes total control and forces the other to drastically change their means of attack until late in the game. If the Broncos take control of this game, it will be slowly but surely and would entail their defense stalling the Raiders' offense and their running game pounding away at the Raiders' run defense. The Bengals played the Broncos last week in a tough defensive battle that showed these two teams are pretty evenly matched and have similar philosophies. I bring this up because the Bengals gave the blueprint the Broncos will be trying to implement in this game when they played the Raiders a few weeks ago. In that game, Joe Mixon ran for over 120 yards and two touchdowns as the Bengals gradually gained control and walked away with a 32-13 victory. If Drew Locke can take care of the football and avoid mistakes, the Broncos could find similar success. For the Raiders, the best chance of taking control is from Locke making those big mistakes and handing them short fields. Their offense has struggled so much lately, scoring under 20 points in six of the last seven games, that it is hard to envision a scenario where they explode offensively to take control unless the points are being handed to them on a silver platter. 